On this episode of Doctor Who's That, Vicky gets chumbly-eyed, people are young and dumb, and Andy gets livid. Welcome back to Doctor Who's That, the show where we take a newbie and force him to watch all of Doctor Who, lest we abandon him on an ancient battlefield. I am your host, Sean Gleason. Joining me as always is Bay. I'm less a man and more a giant wooden-shaped thing filled with Grecians. Oh, really stretching for that one. <laughs> and Andy? Hi, I'm Andy, and uh, I am a little old man in the form of a god. <laughs> <laughs> and also with us again is Park. I am Park. I didn't have a pun planned or anything. <laughs> He's Park. He knows classics. He's here to talk to us about it. I, yeah. do, I have some classics knowledge. When... Last, we were talking about the Myth Makers. We had just finished episode one, where the TARDIS had been taken away by some Trojans. And we are about to start episode two with the title that sent Bay into hysterics, Small Profit Quick Return. (laughs) How dare they? (laughs) Actually, uh, you know what? How dare they not, right? How dare they like do the normal titles for the other uh, three parts and only leave the pun on this one? Like, I liked the pun. I'm sad for the puns we didn't get to hear. Yeah. I, I also am. I just think it's a weird tonal shift. <laughs> well, remember, it's supposed to be a comedy, at least for the first three parts. I do get the impression they were still kind of like... There was a lot of tug behind the scenes, you know, at the higher levels as to like what the heck kind of show this was supposed to be, right? Even now, like two seasons in. In my life, I have traveled far and met many deplorable people, but not one of them has had the credulity strained as I have strained today by your infantry, Doctor. Your story is probably true. Otherwise, you would never have dared to tell it. So the doctor and Odysseus and all that head to where the TARDIS was, and they find that there are tracks leading to Troy. Agamemnon demands that Zeus kill the Trojan spy, and the doctor ends up admitting, okay, I'm not Zeus. At which point Agamemnon's just done with all this and he orders them killed. He gives it up really quickly, I thought. <laughs> well, it, yeah. you know, it's like, on. okay, you got me. I yeah. was really surprised. I thought he would try and continue the charade longer than that. It was I think first... he was just as tired of it as we were, right? Like, <laughs> it was so badly done. Like, and every other time that he has had to lie on his feet, he has just been like, pew, 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 so good at it. And then this time he was like, yeah, I'm... 
Uh, you know, I'll, if you take him to my temple, like tomorrow, though, I'll uh, do something. I'm a god, whatever. You know, just <laughs> so terrible. They're highly ill-advised. I kept waiting for the, I know when the solar eclipse is happening or something sort of. <laughs> well, it, and you also have like, he's like, okay, I lied about being a god and I lied about not knowing Steven. But you can still you know, trust me. Stay with me here. Yeah. <laughs> from here on out, true all truth. Yep. From here on out, radical honesty. Agamemnon is not having it. He's pissed. Agamemnon just gets out of there, and when everybody's left alone with Odysseus, Odysseus asks for the truth of who they are if they value their lives. Stephen and the doctor decide to tell them the actual truth, time travel and all. And Odysseus decides that, you know what? You're probably telling me the truth because no one would dare come up with such a tale otherwise. Yeah, it was really wild. Well, so to me, this feels like one of the earliest. I mean, I think it's happened once or twice before, but Mm -hmm. my memory is garbage. But this seems to me to be like one of the earliest iterations of this very common, uniquely Whovian thing, which is there's always like at least that one historical figure who's in on it, who they tell that they're from the future and they're totally cool with it. And they manage to work through it and be an ally, you know, and like move on with the rest of their lives, having had this kind of brief encounter with the future and not, you know, really telling anybody about it. I would love to see a list of those people, people throughout history that the doctor has taken into confidence. Ooh, like I we, hope there's we a wiki. kind of had that <laughs> at the end anyway. He, they kind of let Marco Polo in on it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this time, of course, the person they tell is the guy who loves to slit throats and is just the worst. The pirate weirdo. Yeah. I loved that scene, though. I really loved how he took <laughs> it. He was like, well, yeah, that's got to be true because you know what I would do to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I also I really bought that he believed them. I bought that he was smart enough to understand that such a thing could happen. Even though we are, we are a very long time out before like time travel narratives yeah. catch on, you know. But I bought that he was willing to believe that such a thing was possible, that that would explain a lot. He understood how that might explain a lot of their weirdness. Mm-hmm. And he understands people well enough to understand what the truth sounds like and what a lie sounds like and when they yeah. might, you know, like what would be crazy enough to lie to him about or to how, how to lie. Because he's he is the master of lying as exactly. well as knowing people. So like that, I bought it. I, I don't know. I really like this version of Odysseus. He really rang true to me. There also was a moment there, like after they're condemned where Steven's like, well, you know, maybe Vicky has found some way to dematerialize. She's, she's put on some kind of, I mean, that's what I thought. I was like, that was oh, my initial. Sh- she's gone. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, they are screwed because she doesn't. She's probably, you know, I thought in my head, I was like, well, she's from the future. So she probably could, you know, if anybody could like kind of fiddle around with things and make it work even more poorly than it already does, <laughs> it would be her. And then, well, bye. I did not think she would leave him. I, I did think she might make it chameleon. This is the point where the show just becomes Vicky and we follow her <laughs> adventures through time and space. Oh, yeah. This, this the is doctor's the, this is the dead. Doctor yeah. I'm the doctor now. Yeah. <laughs> doctor who's Vicky? Yeah. I've lost track of his, how, how much do we know about the doctor's origins at this point? Pretty much nothing. 
Okay, that's what I yeah. thought. That's what I thought. We haven't heard anything yet. He's not nope. like... We know he's not from Earth, right? That's yeah, basically that's it. about it. So yeah, the idea, like, we don't know how much more advanced his people are than us. So the idea, I guess, of, like, someone from the, what, she's like the 25th century? Yeah, the something someone crazy. from the 21st century being that advanced is not, is not crazy yet. Odysseus says, yeah, you know, I'll go ahead and release you. If you come up with a plan to help us capture Troy in the next couple days... If you don't, then I'll be angry, and you won't like me when I'm angry. Dun, dun, dun. Probably to have all sorts of uses. I'm quite sure. Uses to the Greeks. What do you mean? Why do you imagine that they allowed you to capture it? Allowed me? Allowed me? Now, you look here, Cassandra. Where did you find it? Well, I find it, what do you think, out there in the middle of the plain? Unguarded, I suppose. Yes, of course. I, I mean, yes, it was, was. Just as I thought. Can't you see that you are meant to bring it into Troy? No, I can't see, quite frankly. I think I'm beginning to see. What are you two getting? Back in the TARDIS, meanwhile, we learn that it's been taken to Troy by Paris, who presents it to his father, King Priam. Priam is not impressed. uh, Paris grew on me pretty quick. Like, he is (laughs) ridiculous. And, like, I loved his, like... He's just so hammy and perfect, <laughs> and we'll get to that. But I just like even even when I first saw him in my notes, I'm like, this guy is over the top, and I love it. I say also accurate portrayal. Yeah, Iliad accurate portrayal. Paris is like a pretty boy who wants to be easygoing, <laughs> even when things are really rough. He just wants to pretend. He's like, there's a scene where he gets in big trouble, and the gods rush in and save him. And, and Helen is like, you're such a, you suck. And he's like, you know, <laughs> the gods helped him out. We have gods on our side, too. It'll, it'll be fine. It'll be yeah. fine. He's the original trust fund, baby. Yeah. Yeah. He does feel like that. But yeah, Priam's not impressed with his gift. And he thinks that Paris's time would be better spent going out and killing Achilles. Paris expresses his annoyance with this rejection by saying, but daddy, it was heavy. His sister Cassandra comes in and thinks that the Greeks probably meant for him to bring that thing back to Troy. She woke full of foreboding after all. A common occurrence, according to Paris. So we learn right away that Paris and Cassandra are pretty much a couple of bickering children. I also just kind of appreciate that when they introduce a character like this, they show up and say some stuff and you don't initially know who they are because they haven't really been introduced. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so she comes and she says she's had dreams and and whatnot. I'm like, this has to be Cassandra. Well, and it's a good couple. It's like a good couple of minutes before they drop her name. And they like I was actually I remember noticing and being impressed that like they did it like in a way that didn't feel very exposition y. Yeah, but she tells them about the dream that she had. The Greeks left a gift on the plane, and the night after it was brought into Troy, soldiers poured out of it and attacked them as they slept. It's very Pretty specific. That's yeah. Very <laughs> yeah, they're, they're keeping her powers real. Yeah. I just think, you know, if your dream is that specific, when a big wooden horse comes in <laughs> maybe you could i mean instead of like all the ballyhoo that actually goes down maybe you know you could have just said humor me your prophet that you know you normally yeah. humor just see if it's hollow just yeah. you know well, drill this some is, holes this is her curse 
This is her curse. Cassandra's curse is to know the future, but to not be believed. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, um, that's what the gods cursed her with. So yeah, she, she always knows what's coming, but then she warns people and they're always and like, they this time listen. I don't believe you, though. I knew that. Sure, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we see this with Paris laughing off the idea that an army could fit inside the TARDIS. That was and, also very good. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Cassandra is much wiser than he is and says that all it would take would be one soldier to open up the gates. She figures the best thing to do would be to burn this thing as an offering. And if there's a soldier inside, all the better. I was like, okay, that's fair. That's yeah. good. Yeah, go for it. Meanwhile, you know, we flash into Vicky, who's, you know, uh, going through the entire BBC wardrobe show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she's looking for some nice things to wear. And she's not very happy with what she's hearing outside. And now, all of a sudden, they she can hear what's going on outside, unlike with the Plains of Troy last time. The Trojans are ready to light their sacrifice on fire. And Priam and Paris implore Cassandra to chat with the gods and make sure that they're cool with this. She prays for a sign, and Vicky steps out of the TARDIS to the amazement of all the onlookers, the Cyclops amongst them. Cassandra demands to know who she is, and Vicky goes with the truth. They're telling a lot of truths this time. She's just a boring old human from the future. They teed her up, too. Like, she could have just been like, yeah, oh my God, come look at this box that's huge on the inside. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. she goes right for it. Once again, none of these people have watched the Ghostbusters. No. I also kind of appreciate that they make Cassandra pissed at Vicky. Yeah. It's like, Cassandra didn't really buy all of this. Uh, Paris said Cassandra talks about the com- future constantly and says, I shouldn't imagine you have a monopoly. Yeah, Cassandra really doesn't take kindly to Vicky practicing prophecy without a license. (laughs) And, you know, she suspects she was sent by the Greeks. And she thinks that they should kill the sorceress right away because she is a very pleasant individual. Meanwhile, Paris can tell that the pretty young girl isn't a spy. He could just tell that. Vicky, that's a very outlandish name. Name, if you ask me. Nobody did ask you, Cassandra. Well, I really don't think we can call you Vicky. We shall have to think another one for you, shan't we? Let me see. How about uh, Cressida? Would you think that would be all right? Priam wants to talk to the child, but he does think that her name's a bit wacky and decides to rename her Cressida. Which, you know, it's kind of amusing considering Vicky's tendency to name other creatures that here in her last episode, she herself is given a new name. I have to say, if you're watching this like me, because, you know, I always take notes when we're preparing for these episodes. So that just sent me down a whole rabbit hole. I was like, wait a minute, Cressida. (laughs) (laughs) time to go to wikipedia for the next half hour yeah (laughs) you're such a good co-host i suck i was just like what that's a dumb name to give somebody just off the cuff oh well (laughs) i i didn't know this was going to be charles and cressida and that was the one i was like oh okay so we're doing that but i i was just really thrown by usually when you give someone a nickname because you think their nickname is hard or weird 
Yeah. You give them a nickname that sounds kind of like yeah. their actual name. Or one that's just like, kind of short, like Time yeah. Girl. I was rooting for <laughs> Chumbly, frankly. <laughs> I was hoping for Zombo. <laughs> like your your name, what is it? What is it? Gleep? Gleep sounds kind of weird. I'm going to call you Aloysius. To be like, that's a weird choice, man. That's a weird, not that Aloysius is not an okay name. That's just a weird choice. You picked a kind of long name in your own language. It doesn't sound anything like the name that was originally for the person. That's a weird choice. No, I, but I do, I, I, do, I do appreciate that she, like, gets chumbliized. Yeah. Because in the last episode, she named those little robots. And this time, she is the little robot. <laughs> so... Priam invites Cressida to go to the palace and talk of the future. Paris wants to go as well, but he's told to just get back out onto the plains and kill Achilles, Dagnabbit. <laughs> and, you know, Paris starts to complain because that whole killing Achilles, that's more of a Troilus thing. That didn't sound weird until now, because I had <laughs> forgotten about that. But now that you say it, we learn later Troilus is a kid. Yeah. <laughs> He's 17. And Paris is the one who went to another country and kidnapped a dude's wife. Yeah. yeah and well, started you know, a war. He's, he's young, dumb, and full of garum. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's a joke for the classics majors right there. Yes. Paris is a lover, not a fighter. Well, is anybody else disappointed that we don't even get a, a little bit of Helen? Yeah. Not yeah. really. Actually, it was kind of a selling point for me um, because I do enjoy, you know, these kind of like, it's almost like a side story. Like, uh, I, I like these, like the stories where it's um, kind of ancillary to, you know, like the, she doesn't really matter, right? Does she yeah. like to this story at all? So, well, they do like, like how Troilus and Cressida, the play, the Shakespeare's play actually shoves the story of Troilus and Cressida aside to get the story of Achilles yeah. and the war. And this does the opposite. This shoves the war aside to get the story of Troilus and Cressida, which is nice. But it was weird to not, because we have Paris there. Yeah. It was weird to not even really hear Helen. She really isn't even talked about very much. I almost thought they would go with, there are other traditions of like where Helen was. Mm -hmm. Like there are some stories that put her in Egypt for the entire time. And mm -hmm. I almost thought, I was almost expecting that to happen. I almost thought they might say, you know, she's not even really here. We, we, we told the Greeks she's in Alexandria or, or something, but they won't go away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like while I, you, you know, like I, while I said I don't mind it, I'm not disappointed. It is kind of a glaring omission, right? That yeah. like, I mean, like, yeah, okay, like I don't really recall her being terribly interesting in the Iliad either. Really, just kind of a MacGuffin. But like, it, she's mentioned a couple of times, and it's it's almost like they cast somebody and then they didn't show up, and so they're like, well, okay, we just won't, <laughs> we'll just cut all of their lines. Actually, you make a really good point, though. Because, like, that would have been a casting nightmare for <laughs> the casting right. director to try and get the most beautiful woman. Yeah. That's always a problem with, with, a, uh, with a, where a movie has Helen. Yeah. You have to make someone who everyone in the audience can believe is supposed to be this pretty. And it's impossible. It's, it's a similar problem, actually, to, to Achilles. You have to make someone who everyone is supposed to believe is like this. He has to look powerful to everybody. And here they just were like, yeah, let's just make him a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> let's not even try. Here, I literally saw the guy playing him and I'm like, so he they, they got the lead singer of Coldplay, huh? 
(laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, anyway, resident goth girl Cassandra prophecies that Cressida will bring them nothing but doom, death, and disaster, but everybody just kind of ignores her. And Priam says, you know, she's constantly doing this sort of thing just so that if she's right, she could say, I told you so. Right, right. She's just so dour so that like <laughs> yeah. every disappointment can be proof of her of her prescience. <laughs> exactly. I liked that joke. I also enjoyed Get Back to the War, Paris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so good. Why not the wooden horse? No, oh, my dear boy, I couldn't possibly suggest that. The whole story is obviously absurd. Probably invented by Homer as some good dramatic device. No, I think it'd be completely impractical. So back at the Greek camp, Stephen suggests to the doctor that they just go with the classic wooden horse idea. (laughs) And he's like, this has all been done before. We need something revolutionary. Yeah, I'm going to get Da Vincian on this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the doctor thinks that, you know, that whole horse thing's ridiculous it's just an invention of Homer to add a bit of drama to this whole, to the Iliad. And maybe. I also yeah. enjoy the subtle implication that, like, this is something the doctor spends time thinking about. It's like, you know, if I was in the Trojan War, I just would have built, like, flying machines, you know? Yeah. And, like, <laughs> right? So now, you know, now that his, his arm has been twisted, like, he was reluctant. But now that, you know, he has no choice, might as well, you know, build that flying machine he's always wondered if he could do. Like, I, like, I love yeah. like they would have had, like they would have used at the time. Much more realistic. Right. Yeah. right. I just I'd love that. I love that. I love that about him. So after they've they've done this whole discussion, Odysseus shows up and, you know, I was surprised that he was already so trusting of them that he would just allow Stephen to leave. Well, he wasn't, though. Like, he, I mean, like, he was basically like, okay, so let me get this straight. <laughs> you're going to put on a uniform, at one of our uniforms, and then you're going to go over there and get captured, knowing nothing about the situation or them or any of that. That's fine. I don't need you anyway, right? So, <laughs> but he, And he rightly sort of is itself, like, right? this is the bravest, craziest dude I've ever met. Yeah, Odysseus realizes that, yeah, Stephen is useless to this whole situation. But you know what, dude? I like you. <laughs> I like your style. Yeah. Is this where you started to like him, Andy? <laughs> Who? Stephen? No, um, yeah. I, I, a bit. But no, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when I actually started to like him. Okay, I'll mention <laughs> this that. is kind of also Stephen really really does they give they give him Diomedes armor yeah he's saying Diomede which is fine it's perfectly crumulent way to refer <laughs> to the character it's just weird because the everyone else gets like a sort of currently like Odysseus yeah and then Diomede and I kept I my head I kept saying but it's Diomedes but they <laughs> um he is the the second smartest dude in the Greek army after Odysseus he's the second smartest dude his name means god smart like like advised by gods or or smart like the gods or gifted in brains by the gods and they would do stuff they were rivals very often he and but they also did stuff together and he did go into troy on like missions and steal shit so like it uh, so it is like that's like a legit (laughs) like thing for diomedes to be doing but they also said that the real diomedes was dead yeah he's dead right which isn't like in in the myth he actually he lives through the war and he gets to go home and he's one of the very few short homecomings ah. 
Like everyone else has runs, almost everybody runs into trouble on the way home. Has an odyssey, as it were. Yeah, he he gets the most. But even like even the, most of the ones who get home quick, like Agamemnon. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Agamemnon gets home right away, but it's not happy. No. He doesn't have a good time, right? <laughs> Diomedes, Agamemnon like, does not have a long homecoming. <laughs> D- Diomedes gets about as close to happily or ever a- happily ever after as one of the heroes of the Trojan War gets to have. And but in here, he's already dead. But then Stephen steps into that role, and he gets to have his g- getaway. Ow! Oh. I, Greek, can tell them in Hades that Paris sent you thither. I yield. Make a pot. I yield. I- I'm your prisoner. And I say, this little thing is just not done. I mean, surely you'd rather die than be taken prisoner. Well, yes. Uh, but only in a general sort of way, you see. See, when I first challenged you, little did I know that you were indeed the Lion of Troy. Uh, sorry. I-, I should have listened to my friends. Why? What do they say? Why, that they would rather face Prince Hector and Troilus together than the mighty Paris. That you are unconquerable. <laughs> Don't say that in Troy. Oh, I could tell them a tale or two of your valor that, that would make even King Priam blanch to hear. I say, could you really? Yes, and will. Why, I hope my lord Achilles does not meet you. Even now he searches the plain for you, and what indeed would happen to our cause if he were vanquished? Ah, uh-huh, yeah. But I don't really see how I can oblige him if I have a prisoner. I mean, there will come a day of reckoning, of course, but, uh... Stephen goes outside to find Paris and basically says, Hey, I'm Diomede. Face me. Paris is reluctant, and Stephen tries to taunt him by calling him an adulterer. But Paris is all like, you know... That whole thing's gone on just a bit too far. That thing with Helen was just a crazy (laughs) misunderstanding. (laughs) But he finally agrees to fight, and Stephen lets him win. I really wish we had been able to see him throw this fight. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I also, I like, when when we see Paris out in the desert, he is like, very much doing the bare minimum of looking yeah. for Achilles. <laughs> He's just like, hey, Achilles, where are me. you? But then like, he'll trail off, be like, I'm here for Achilles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess he can't hear me. Maybe I should just go home. Yeah. <laughs> the, the throwing of the fight that Steven does, I also thought immediately of you, Andy, with the whole like social engineering <laughs> bit of it where he's like, oh, tell them that the Lion of Troy, you know, yeah. how could I have hoped to beat you? Yeah, I, I, this is, this is where, this is where I began to warm to him. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, he really butters Paris up and, you know, tells him, yeah, we all think you're this unbeatable hero. Paris thinks, you know, why do you want to get taken prisoner? Isn't it better if I just kill you? But, you know, Stephen convinces Paris, yeah, take me prisoner. Achilles is out there somewhere. And, you know, Paris realizes, yeah, that's true. I can't really fight him if I have a prisoner. So you're coming <laughs> with me. <laughs> Which, of course, is a perfect excuse for him to return. I also, uh, I, I enjoyed the, like... When Stephen's like, "Oh, I should have listened to my friends," and and Paris says, "Oh, what did they uh, what did they say about me?" It's it's. I thought that whole thing was very cute. So yeah, this is also like legit. Like that's taking rich people from the other side prisoner and then ransoming them is just 
like what the whole war went on the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> it's just what you do all the time. Yeah, as, as, if you were poor, you were out of luck. But if you were someone who had like a little like a kingdom or some kind of palace or something like like uh, like Diomedes did, yeah, you, if you surrender, you get taken prisoner. You might get like sold into slavery or something, but there's a really good chance you're not going to just get your throat cut. You're probably going to be okay. Back at Priam's palace, Vicky's having a nice meal and she's talking with Priam about Troy. He's talking about how, you know, the Trojans are absolutely obsessed with horses. Meanwhile, Vicky's very busy talking about how much of a dish his son Troilus is. <laughs> Vicky starts talking about how she's reminded of something she once heard about this war, but she's sure that's just a legend. When she's finally about to tell him about this old war legend, Paris comes in with his captive Greek. And since absolutely nobody can keep their mouths shut about anything, Vicky immediately makes it clear that she and Stephen know each other. Cassandra swoops in out of nowhere and starts saying, she's a Greek, kill them both. <laughs> I did appreciate the um, kind of juxtaposition of the doctor and Stephen being in this like camp hut or whatever and Vicky just living it up yeah. Eating peacock in the palace. <laughs> but yeah, that is how episode two ends. I thought this was so funny, right? Because they definitely like their cliffhanger titles, but this one was just my favorite. It's like, she's a spy, kill them. Next episode, death of a spy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a little heavy handed. I just want to like, I well, I guess she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I think this got mentioned last time. I just want to say again, I thought the dude playing Priam was great. Yes. He did a fantastic job and kind of reminded me of Peter O'Toole. The best thing about the movie Troy, which is a mediocre movie, <laughs> were the best the best things were Achilles and Peter O'Toole and their scene together, which was phenomenal. Hmm. And this reminded me of that. He reminded me of his Peter of, of his Priam. Yeah, well, Priam, it was um Guy we talked about last time, Max Adrian, who right. was a big, big name at the time. So Deserved. And yeah, episode three is Death of a Spy. Doesn't bode well. The original <laughs> punny title was, Is There a Doctor in the Horse? Oh, oh my <laughs> God. Much better. We <laughs> should have, have had kept, that? Should have kept. <laughs> much better. Oh. Yeah. It's and, and it's a, and that's a heck of a foreshadowing that really tells you what's going to happen. Oh man! Like who didn't already know? Well, but. now I'm just mad. But yeah, basically, the BBC told them name this episode "Death of a Spy," and they're like, "But we don't really have a spy story in here," and that's why oh. there's a spy element to this story, oh. just because the BBC wanted this episode to be named "Death of a Spy." That is ridiculous. Uh. <laughs> And not like a fun ridiculous, like, is there a doctor in the horse? Yeah. <laughs> it's a <laughs> situation. Yeah. Paris steps in and is like, wait, hold up, sis. I'm in charge of the army, not you. You can't go around just telling them to kill people. It really took the wind out of the sails of that cliffhanger. Like, it was yeah. a good cliffhanger, I thought. I didn't know how, like, those hazard boys were going to get out of this one. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, like... 
immediately, oh, she's a fortune teller of notorious unreliability. Don't listen like, to her. Not really. Well, Stephen and Vicky let the pigs out of the poke. <laughs> <laughs> what are they going to do? And, you know, we get some more bickering between Cassandra and Paris. Cassandra asks her daddy not to let Paris talk to her like that. But Priam's just glad to see Paris acting like a man for a change. <laughs> Meanwhile, Diomedes there calling Paris the Lion of Troy. And Cassandra's just like, what the what? <laughs> <laughs> so Vicky tries to bring some sense to this madness by asking, so what happens if my future knowledge can't help you win this war? And Cassandra happily informs her that she's going to be burnt in that case. <laughs> and Priam's just like, but don't worry, you have a day to decide what you're going to do. And meanwhile, you and this Greek are going to spend some time in the dungeons. But it's a nice dungeon. I like to go there and think, so don't worry <laughs> about it. <laughs> I, I thought this like early scene in the episode was pretty good with like both... The actress playing Cassandra really selling it. Yeah. And also, you know, Paris is fast talking. Um, by this point, I was just, I really appreciated his, his like ego. And he's just like such a, a petty dude. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm afraid we must face up to it, Odysseus. Uh, ben was never meant to fly. <laughs> Wasn't he, though? Well, that seems to me a great shame. Uh, if your machine won't work, Doctor, I propose to fly you without it. Oh, uh, what do you mean? Simply this, that my catapult is ready, and it seems a great pity to waste it. Now, you have failed me, therefore you are expendable. I propose to fire you over the walls yeah, of Troy. but I have another idea. <laughs> and a much better one. It had better be. Well, have you ever thought of a, a horse? Hmm? So, back at the Greek camp, the doctor is hard at work making paper airplanes. <laughs> the doctor explains to Odysseus that he plans to make some man-sized paper airplanes and fire them into the air over the walls using catapults. Which oh, would... <laughs> Not actually a bad idea, though. I mean, like, they use catapults for... Um small gliders and, and that sort of thing. It's not that it wouldn't work, but we are about eight centuries before the catapult at this point. Like, like if, if you're talking about, like, what's well, what's really time appropriate? It would, they wouldn't build a horse. They'd, they have, like, a siege weapon and be like, this yeah. is, this is, catapults are useful for, like, big wall fortifications that didn't really actually exist that much at the time. And catapults don't show up in ancient Greece until, like, around... 400 mm -hmm. AD and we're at closer to like 1200 yeah. or so AD like and this is a this is sorry is a classics like bugaboo people often don't realize how how long the ancient world like how long yeah. in terms that we are closer to Julius Caesar than Julius Caesar was to the building of the pyramids like yeah. mm -hmm. the the ancient world uh, that that we think of as like the Greek ancient world there's a great big gap. They have their own dark ages that goes from yeah. about the time of the Iliad happening up until kind of the Greek world that we think of. If we think it's, of Greek, it's not like just turtles in time. <laughs> yeah. No, no, there's, there's a whole like, like several centuries there. where just like 
civilization kind of recedes and they're not doing as much big building anymore. Yeah. It's about to happen when the heroes of the Iliad are around. It's it's a real shame that all we have to go on for this episode are stills. Yeah. Because I really would have liked to see Hartnell, his face contort into that still. <laughs> it was just a really, really nice shocked face when Odysseus is like, yeah, you'll be the guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> And it's pretty quickly after Odysseus <laughs> says this that the doctor suddenly decides that he's made a bit of a miscalculation. Man was never meant to fly. But let me tell you about this 40-foot horse. <laughs> <laughs> you, me, and Diomedes jump out of the rabbit. <laughs> yeah, that also seemed that seemed very realistic of the doctor and, and, yeah. and very realistic of Odysseus to be like, Oh, you have this weird plan. Well, let me tell you my idea. Yeah. Uh, that will make me know how it's going to turn out. Back in Troy, Vicky and Steven are playing the sarcastic blame game in the dungeon until Steven finally gets around to explaining what's going on with the doctor, that the doctor has two days to come up with a plan. We've got one day to come up with a plan. And Vicky better get the lead out and figure out how to beat the Greeks or Cassandra will kill them if the doctor beats her to it. And that, in fact, is my Aerosmith reference of this episode. <laughs> I had to search Wikipedia for a song, found something like Get the Lead Out, and I'm like, I'm throwing that in here because I couldn't if think of anything me. else. <laughs> because I have to continue the Aerosmith references until Steven Taylor is gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wish that they'd spent a little bit more time in this particular serial with the doctor versus Vicky element yeah. because I really appreciated this idea that they're both like playing a game of chess against each other. We were always told about how clever the doctor is and yeah. we, we do get to see that, but it would have been nice to have like Vicky outsmart him or something. They, they're magical together. Yeah. So seeing them pit off um, against each other would have been a pretty fun but we don't get so much of that yeah we we get the promise of it you could have vicky maybe send someone out to spy figure out the doctor is planning on building a catapult and then she has it sabotaged or something or get some kind of back and forth and you can yeah. push out a mm-hmm. bit. and that would give her more time to have more of a romance with troilus so you could believe yeah it does feel kind of tacked on doesn't it well i mean it, it was right yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah i guess so this is another part of the problem is in the story of troilus and cressida as usually is told cressida ends up with diomedes yeah so it, like you could tell it did seem like they were expecting her to go off in the tardis and troilus to be crushed like usual yeah yeah and then die like and usual. that's what the ending was supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense as as they're talking steven sees the cyclops outside and relays a message that he's found Vicky. Please don't attack for at least two more days. Go tell the doctor this. Because, you know, Stephen's worried that if they attack too soon, the Trojans will just come and kill him in the dungeons. So give us time to work out a way to get the Trojans to trust us and so on. You know, Stephen, I think I could get to be quite happy here in time. While this is going on, 
Troilus arrives to bring some food and totally not talk with the pretty girl he's not supposed to talk with. <laughs> Troilus and Vicky talk about how they're the same age. They share a mutual love of adventure. You start to wonder where this could possibly be going. Troilus indicates his worry that Diomede might be a particular friend of hers. But Vicky assures him, oh no, not that guy. <laughs> After Troilus leaves, Stephen tells Vicky she ought to be ashamed of herself with all that blatant flirting. <laughs> but despite this, she still sneaks him some food. She also starts talking about how she could be happy here. Presumably if she weren't, you know, in the dungeons and in the middle of a war zone. Yeah, I think this is where I I started to send like that line. Yeah. I remember it yeah. standing out, and I and yeah. like it makes more sense now because like I remember thinking at the time like oh you know this is this is a cute little kind of like flirting thing. It it totally yeah. makes sense. But then that little subtle shift that like just one addition there I was like oh no. Yeah, you started uh, to yeah. get flashbacks to Susan yeah. and uh, what's his name. No toilets, Vicky. It's like, no oh toilets. boy, yet another like female character that we're going to have leave because she fell in love with the boy. And it's just like, yeah. oh God, not again. No toilets and no antibiotics, Vicky. The, yeah. the moment <laughs> that they, they called it. her Cressida, I was like, oh no, something weird is going to... See, you were sort of... Because I thought it was going to end... I didn't know she was leaving in this episode. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to end like... Yeah, Jonas like it was supposed to. End. <laughs> yeah, I thought Diomedes and she and Steve, when Stephen was being Diomedes, I thought, oh, they're going to get together. Well, I as I mentioned last episode, I saw the barest yeah. minimum of, of the, the next, next serial, the next episode of the serial. I'm like, right, right, right. who is she? Yeah. <laughs> so Odysseus and the doctor show the plans for the horse to Menelaus and Agamemnon. And, you know, Menelaus is temporarily on board with this whole getting in their ships and going until he's told that the plan involves turning the ships back around. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they explain the whole Trojan horse thing. The ships go. Others are hiding in the horse. Achilles is out hiding with his forces in the plains. That'll be kind of important later. While Odysseus and his men are in the horse, with the doctor, who strenuously objects to that particular part of the plan, mm -hmm. saying, you know, he'd only get in the way, the Trojans drag the symbol of their god into the city, we come out at night, open the gates, bam, we're done. Back in Troy, the Cyclops is on his way out of the city when he's spotted by Paris, who demands that he speak and identify himself. Of course, the Cyclops can do no such thing, and a guard dings him with a spear. Yeah. And hey, now the title makes sense. I guess so. It was such a waste. <laughs> like, it was kind of an interesting... I mean, it was funny, first of all, that, you know, like, we had a Cyclops hanging out with Odysseus, <laughs> right? I mean, you got to be able to appreciate that. But it's also just kind of cringy. It's like, identify yourself. Yeah. I guess that played in 1960, but nowadays... I gotta feel like even in 1960, a lot of people would have been like, well, that's just mean. Yeah. You, do you hear that noise and not think, oh, wait, is your tongue cut out? I, I, I expected that particular plot line to go somewhere. 
Yeah. Maybe I was just still holding out for the like cat and mouse game between Vicky and the doctor. The plot line existed for the purpose of having an episode title. Curse you, BBC. Yep. On the Trojan plane, the horse is ready. The doctor, Odysseus, and Odysseus's Ithacans are waiting inside. And the doctor's beginning to have fifth and sixth thoughts about this whole plan. He just wants to get out. But Odysseus tells him to just stop talking and get some sleep. Odysseus, come here, quickly. What is it now, Doctor? On my soul, you're making me as nervous as a bacchante at a first orgy. Why don't you try and get some sleep? I never felt less like sleep in my life. Meanwhile, some Trojans, soldiers, begin to approach the horse. And, you know, I do like when they start to move the horse, how in the recon, they sort of, you know, shake the picture so that we get the uh, sense of motion. That that was pretty, you know, they do a good job with adding as much motion as they can to these recons. And we would be remiss, of course, if we didn't mention uh, Odysseus's rejoinder to the doctor's constant worrying by telling him that he is making him as nervous as a bacante at her first orgy. And I had to like, I had to actually I pull up the down. script for that one to see like whose first orgy. Like, <laughs> and I, 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 what do you, I, what, what do we even say to that? That's quite the image. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Kid show. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about orgies. That was that was Sondheim-esque. That was a good that was a good line. Back in the dungeons of Troy, Troilus has gone to tell Vicky that the Greeks are gone. His father's pleased with whatever she did to make that happen. And Cassandra's angrier than ever now. Uh Troilus takes Vicky out of there and Stephen's left to rot in the cells. Ding Stephen, who we never see again. No, no. Well, I mean, he like, he did try to es- he tries to escape and he gets the crap kicked out of him. Yeah. Which I really yeah. enjoy. <laughs> it's like yeah, he tries he tries a, tries the Ian approach and it does not go yes. well. No, it does not. And woe to the house of Priam! Woe to the Trojan! I figured a bit late to say woe to the horse. I've just given instructions to have it brought into the city. Cassandra's there insisting that the Greeks leaving must be some type of treachery. And Paris comes in saying they found the great horse of Asia just there in the middle of the plain. Cassandra, of course, prophecies doom, doom. Woe to the house of Priam. And Vicky, who has no ability to keep things in her brain, calls it the Trojan horse. Cassandra goes on with her line, woe to the house of Priam, woe to the Trojans, to which Paris replies, well, I'm afraid it's a bit late to say woe to the horse. I've ordered it brought into the city. So we do end with a comedic pun. As we move on to episode four, Horse of Destruction. Which was supposed to be called... I don't know. Oh. All I that is the oh. only title that I have for it. Maybe they decided that the episode filled with doom and bloodshed shouldn't have a punny title. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, this is when all of a sudden it's the tragedy again. 
Like we've we've avoided it for a while, but you can't anymore. This is when we go from bickering children and Odysseus laughing at everything to just dings everywhere. Katharina, go and look for the sorceress. I don't trust my lovesick brother. But great priestess, the augury said that you I was dare to question me. Cassandra continues to insist that it's a trick. She's cursing that horrible little sorceress. Paris suggests that the little sorceress probably conjured the horse to scare the Greeks away. And then Troilus begins to wonder, where has she wandered off to anyways? Vicky just <laughs> dashes. Yeah. Troilus goes to look for her, and Cassandra decides she's going to send Katerina, her never-before-seen handmaiden, to look as well. Vicky, of course, has gone to free Stephen and to tell him about the horse. They decide to go to the square and take a look at the horse, and Vicky spends a bit of time mocking how rickety that thing looks <laughs> until she spots Katerina, the character who has totally been here this whole time. <laughs> well, I like that she's mentioning how rickety it looks because meanwhile the doctor's like, should have put stock shock absorbers in this sucker. <laughs> you know, if you give me more time, I could have tricked this horse out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Stephen suggests that, you know, the two of them separate so that they're not seen together. And, you know, she stay on Troilus's good side, which leads to a bit more mutual snarkiness between the two of them. As the royal family spots and approaches her, Troilus is telling them that Diomede has vanished, and Cassandra continues saying doom every third word. Priam thanks Vicky for being Troy's salvation, and he heads off to make a speech, and Katerina is left to babysit Vicky, who can only sadly say, oh no, let it not happen, because she knows what's coming. I was thinking, Doctor, that with any luck, either Agamemnon or Achilles will not come through. You mean Deltisatus? Hmm? No. <laughs> Die. Just a hope. One less finger in the pie, a greater share of the booty for me. That is a most immoral way of looking at life. Nonsense. It's the reason that I've been here for ten long years, fighting all the time. In the horse... Odysseus is having a pleasant conversation with the doctor <laughs> about how he hopes that at least one of the other leaders of this Greek expedition, you know, Achilles or Agamemnon, maybe one of them won't make it through the night. You know, that'll mean a bigger slice of the pie for me. That's <laughs> what this 10 years has been about, after all. They lean pretty heavily into Odysseus being a, a real <laughs> jerk in this yeah. episode. He is ruthless. There's a whole history of poetry and theater about this time, about like the warriors in the mm -hmm. horse talking about what's going to happen and what they're going to do. Like, there's this scene's been done a lot. Yeah. And it was cool to have Odysseus be talking to the doctor. I had to have these two brains in concert. And it was, I was, I laughed that he's just, he's just being a completely ruthless. Yeah. Uh, 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 monster obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this fits. This is what they would have been like. Yeah, sure. I also had been just like trying to voraciously read a lot of different things about the, the Trojan War, because mm -hmm. I wasn't as familiar with it. 
been more familiar with the Odyssey. And I came across a table online of popular media about uh, having to do with the Iliad. Oh. Everything says that, like every last source, they're like, yeah, Odysseus was in that horse. Like they have all sorts of other characters and, you know, maybe they're there, maybe they're not. But like Odysseus, always in the horse. Yep. Who's got thought of the idea and the one who is well, wants to be right doctor, there okay. to grab yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the mastermind of, of the of the Greek army and the, and who wants to be right there to grab spoils yeah. um and, and glory. But yeah, after this conversation, the doc he finds him to be a terribly immoral person. He does some typical doctor moralizing and demands to be let out. Odysseus threatens him with becoming his first victim of the night, and the doctor backs off. We also know that this horse has to be at least 40 feet tall, since yeah. he says that's the, the length of the drop that would kill the doctor. Yeah. Back in the palace, Troilus and Vicky meet up, and she asks him to leave the city. She tells him that Diomede must have run to the plane, and if he goes and captures him, then he'll be able to prove himself as a great warrior. Troilus does wonder why she wants him to go out into the night searching for a highly skilled Greek warrior. But in the end, she does convince him to do so, assuring him that she wants nothing to happen to him. That night, we see a rope. And actually, when I say we see, we literally see, because this is one of those film segments for the recon. We see a rope descend from the horse's belly, and we get some of that film scene of people superimposed on the still image as the Greeks descend from the horse. Was this actual footage from the episode or a different no. one? Yeah, okay. no, that, this, that was a still of the horse, and then some scenes that, that the... What's loose cannon it, loose people cannon? filmed and then superimposed onto the still image. I, I noticed that bad. they looked quite different. It, it looked good, and it was it was good to have that bit. Yeah, but you can tell like there's there's more definition. Like it's it's a way clearer image very often. Some Trojan guards get dinged, and the Greeks open the main gates, and their troops begin pouring into the city. The doctor's just like horrified already. Right. Yeah. On the plains of Troy, Troilus is calling for Diomede, and he comes face to face with Achilles, who tells him that Diomede, the man that he's calling out for, is long dead. Achilles taunts Troilus by saying that he can't really fight him man to man as he did his brother, so this'll just be the murder of a boy. They fight. Achilles slips and Troilus dings him. Oh, this. Well, he. <laughs> I really. This made me so mad. He doesn't slip. He catches his heel on a root, is ah, what I yes. saw. His Achilles and, heel. Well, yes. I mean, duh. Like, yeah. I saw that. And I, and, like, I mean, he has he, two Achilles heels. <laughs> like, I had to get examined by an ophthalmologist because of how hard I rolled my eyes. Like, <laughs> was, I was I the thing is I was waiting the whole episode for someone to shoot an arrow and it didn't happen. Well, I mean, like I so I, I you Same. know I enjoyed that they were they were doing their takes on things like the, you know with the cyclops and everything they're kind of like putting yeah. their own spin on it. But a root, 
the greatest warrior of the ancient like war died to landscaping. Like <laughs> that's how that went down. Well, we know from episode one that Achilles wasn't really that great of a warrior. I was after the the uh, the fight between Achilles and Hector, the the two biggest heroes in the war. I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Then Achilles dies where no one can see. Not even in, like, the fighting that's going on right now. It just, why is he roaming the field? Like, why isn't he ready to go through the gates? What? Well, he had been that- on the planes, right? Yeah, that was part of the plan for him to be on the planes. I don't know why he's not going in the city with everybody else. Yeah, but... I, don't, I don't get it. I don't, yeah. Eh. He throws his sword. Am I correct? Yeah, he does something. I'm not sure if he just... St- eh. Well, the transcript says stab. Okay. The reconstruction makes it look like he throws the sword. But whatever he does, he gets Troilus in some way. So Troilus is injured. He collapses. And, you know, oh, no, is Troilus alive or dead? We'll never know. The no. <laughs> hey! What are you doing? It's the Greeks! Back in Troy, Priam hears all the commotion outside, and Paris lets him know that the Greeks were in the horse. Cassandra finally gets to give her big I told you so <laughs> as Odysseus and his men enter. Priam and Paris are double-dinged, and Cassandra is taken as a gift for Agamemnon, but not before getting to prophecy that it'll be another ten years before Odysseus finds his way home. I like Again, it. are are the Greek gods real in this? Because Cassandra has legit powers of yeah. prophecy. <laughs> it made me think, like, is this in this version, are is there a Zeus? Is there I a did Zeus appreciate that they didn't show up though. Because yeah. I think that would have yeah. been a little too yeah. No, you you would have headed that whole the whole like Star Trek, the Greek gods are actually aliens thing, and it would have really oh, taken yeah. away well, from your don't, story. Don't you worry, that is almost certainly something we will see. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, I can think again. I think the Star Trek has done like at least a couple of times, if not. Uh, I don't know about the. I can't recall the Greek gods, but I can tell you that many years from now, you will meet the gods of Ragnarok. This is well-trod ground for Doctor Who. <laughs> Anyways, Vicky meets up with the Doctor at the TARDIS, and she introduces him to Katerina, again, a character who has been around this whole time and who didn't just show up for the first time at the beginning of this episode <laughs> before sending Katerina off to retrieve Stephen. She also lets the Doctor know that they need to have a bit of a chat. Presumably off camera somewhere yep. <laughs> they talk. I had to rewatch that scene because I totally missed that they even talked about it. Yeah. It's yeah. like, Doctor, we gotta talk. Let's go into the, the TARDIS here. Soon after, we see Vicky leaving the TARDIS in what's actually a real clip from the episode. Just like that momentary, hey, I'm stepping out of the TARDIS for the last time. Apparently, they, you know, she hugs the TARDIS and wanders off as the doctor sadly watches. Meanwhile, after all this, Katerina brings back Stephen, who has just been stabbed in the shoulder by a Trojan. Uh, They go back to the TARDIS, and she and Stephen enter. 
This injury of Stephen, by the way, was written at the request of Terry Nation since he wanted it for use in his next story. Before the doctor goes into the TARDIS, Odysseus shows up and demands the TARDIS as part of his spoils of war. But the doctor pretty much just nopes inside and takes off. So good. <laughs> it was so good. He's like, was he Zeus after all? Yeah. Oh, well, time to kill the highborn. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That doesn't matter. So long as you trust me. Trust you? After all. I didn't betray you. That's why I stayed behind. I wanted you to know that I didn't. The main thing is, I belong here now with you. If you'll have me. Outside Troy, a distraught Troilus watches his city burn as he wonders if Cressida really did betray them, and he hilariously screams, Cressida! Then Vicky shows up and tries to explain things. Diomedy and another friend have left to go to the place that I came from, but I've stayed behind. She tells him, I didn't betray you, that's why I stayed behind. I wanted you to know that I didn't. The main thing is, I belong here now with you, if you'll have me. She stayed there not even knowing if he would say yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was livid at this point. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was like, what like you, 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 it because up until that point, like all that she has really intimated is that oh, I'd feel a little guilty for leaving behind that cute guy that kind of liked me. Like none of the like pathos of of like yeah. the whole Susan relationship thing. I was oh, I was so mad. The the rest of my notes are all in caps. Yeah. We don't even get a proper goodbye with the doctor and Vicky. It is infuriating. But yeah, anyway, Troilus gets over that whole feeling betrayed thing pretty quickly. And then his cousin Aeneas shows up. And Vicky says that with his help, we could start again and build a new Troy. And it looks like Andy <laughs> is just about ready. He's making that sort of cat vomiting <laughs> sort of so, motion. <laughs> I was so mad. I was just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> Andy is now just taking the hard drive that he has all these Doctor Who episodes on. He's throwing it in the trash, hitting it with the hammer. He is no. Not- step away with that magnet. <laughs> don't, don't. I just put that back. It, I you know like I. She was like one of the you know like in Doctor Who. Just we talked about this before, Bay. Like you are you are becoming acquainted. With yeah. the reality of being a Doctor Who fan and realizing that the natural order of things is you hate new companions immediately. And then, you know, it mm-hmm. takes a little while. But Vicky was one of the first ones where I like kind of right off the bat, I was like, yeah, yeah she's, I, she's, you know, I like her. She's kind of cool. It's like it takes it in a different direction. The, the, the chemistry was good. And... Uh, well, if the listeners are right there with me, you'll remember I I at first I was not very I hadn't warmed to her as quickly as you guys did. But I had, you know, like what a bummer of an ending for Vicky Vicky. No goodbye from the doctor. No acknowledgement of their separation, like nothing. Yeah. Um so it almost felt 
when I initially had watched it, I had to rewatch it for this, but it almost felt at first like he left her, which yeah was I, I had to was go back and frustrating watch that because like you've got a character. I actually thought that their relationship seemed warmer and more realistic than the relationship he had with Susan. Yeah. Also, I felt like her time on the show was so short that I was expecting more adventures out of the two of them. And there should have been. It was really inappropriate, in my opinion, about how they handled it. Yeah. This is, I mean, I, I love Doctor Who and I, I watched some of the 70s and 80s stuff when I was a kid with my dad. I was born in 80, and I watched that stuff on PBS with my dad when I was a kid, and then I got into New Who, which made me kind of go back and rewatch some of the older stuff. Not as far back as this. Yeah. I'm kind of – I'm watching with the with the podcast, and I um, – this is part of the show's long-running problem with companions that are – especially female companions that are smart. Mm. And the show really wants a cabbage head. Yeah. And they have, and it's and it's very tough for them to to write another smart person who's right there with the doctor too much. Yep, it's it's really annoying. There's another ridiculously, unfortunately short, like short lasting companion when we get to the third doctor, who is, in my opinion, the most underrated companion in the history of the show, mm-hmm. who does not last anywhere near as long as she should, Legit, and yes. it's infuriating. Uh, but I'm, we'll get to that in several seasons' time. I think the only person who takes Vicky's departure worse than Andy and I is Steven. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's in there, he's like completely delirious. Yeah. And, you know, like immediately asks where the heck she is. Yeah, he's like, where's, what's she doing over there? Wait, she's been left behind? What? Where's Tess Cressida told me all would be well, and I knew it was to come. What was to come, my That dear? I was to die. My dear child, you're not dead. That's nonsense. Mm. This is not Troy. This is not even the world. This is the journey through the beyond. Well, that's Thank wish. you. While all this is going on, Katerina is happy that this god has come to bring her the peace that Cressida promised if she went with him, which she assumes to be the peace of death. She believes that she's now on the journey to the beyond. So that's what's happening now. <laughs> oh this would God. be a really, a really nice afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> compared to what they were expecting, this would be choice. This is going to be a real rude awakening for someone from like, what is this? <laughs> about what year would the, think about the Trojan a, War have about been? About like uh, 1100 to 1200 yeah. BCE. Yeah. I mean, like, this is millennia. Off of of anything that she's familiar with, I I really like the idea. Like I, I I'm always happy when the show takes companions who are not from the current era the show's airing in. Yeah, like it just feels like a dead giveaway, like too much when the Doctor takes. Like I'll just take one of the viewers with me, and <laughs> and I really like when they pick someone who's from a past or future. But that's super challenging to write to pick someone who's from such a different cultural context and no knowledge of anything like even a lot of ancient technology yeah it's it's a kind of a this this is a a weird leap to make okay but it it brings up something that kind of bothered me about the whole trollius and cressida subplot here where vicky stays behind this is a person from the distant future you know like 
when you have an elderly man who's paired up with a very young lady, you might say he's robbing the cradle. What happens if you're from a different, <laughs> like, millennium? Like, are you robbing the grave? What is this? Well, <laughs> I mean, like, it's what I said last episode. I think the thing that surprised me the most is someone who is, you know, doubtless used to, used to like, future toilets that just teleport the poo right out of you. And now, like... You know, she's, you know, uh, you know, well, better not get a UTI or you might die. Why would you voluntarily choose that? I was, uh. You have to just explain everything to her like it's magic. You have to Arthur C. Clarke this and just be like, look, this oh, is, you ma- mean- I have magic toilets. I have magic, yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah. With also, Katarina. this is what a toilet is. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, because I was talking about Vicky, but like Katarina is an entirely different thing. Like I, I was like thinking to myself, why is she just stepped into the TARDIS? Why isn't she just constantly screaming? Like Because wh- she thinks she's dead. She thinks right, she's in is, the afterlife. She's, yeah. she's ready for like a giant shake up to what things will be like i guess i'm just like that line was so dumb to me and i was like oh god they're setting her up to be dumb but yeah i guess we'll see if katarina goes on you over you know this time i, really I mean if she's she- here more than an episode before they kill her <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm worried because you know they weren't prepared for this they didn't have an advance they didn't think in yeah. advance let's have someone come in from troy they just were flummoxed about oh crud our companions leaving right away what are we gonna do what concerns me a bit about it though is if they had already done so the previous one episode serial ties into terry nation's dalek master plan that comes next so if that had already been planned then terry nation must have been writing with vicky in mind which means that he shoehorned this character from the ancient world into vicky's spot and that gives me pause. Well, you're assuming that Terry <laughs> Nation <laughs> had written anything by this point. <laughs> oh, so. that makes me even madder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you- <laughs> did you see that episode? You know, I mean, like the the Dalek Master Plan, it it did not smack of a grand narrative. <laughs> if you catch my drift. Yeah. <laughs> and this is also, since apparently what they really want, I mean, what a lot of the writers have really wanted out of a, of a young female companion is someone to scream and and get rescued, uh, I guess. <laughs> young and dumb and full of garum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this person can also, and full of screams, this person can also fulfill that, that uh, those, those qualifications. But it's, she can't do much else at this point. Yeah. And you're going to have to spend time convincing her that this is not the afterlife. <laughs> this is not Haiti. She's not dead. Uh, it seems like a real big yeah. hill to climb. But anyway, the doctor talks a bit how he's going to miss Vicky. For about a sentence or two, then he turns his attention to finding a place to stop because Stephen needs some drugs. And we are left with the ever pleasant words, next, the nightmare begins. It's already begun. (laughs) (laughs) We're living it. I'm dead. I'm in hell. Yep. (laughs) And that is the Myth Makers. So I guess it's time for our reactions. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Or meh. And I guess we'll start with Andy because I think this could be hilarious. Andy, <laughs> why? Thumbs up, thumbs down, or meh? Okay. <laughs> um, I can't 
forget about <laughs> the what happened at the end with Vicky. Like, I mean, like, but I am I I've I have tried to look past it, and I have to say thumbs up. And the reason I do is because everything else was generally pretty fun, except for all like it, I I can kind of see the story that it was supposed to have been uh, before like they came in and just ravaged the story right out of it and you know what like oh aside from the awkward bits that certainly stick out even if even if you don't know what's coming and i didn't i despite those i I liked it i'd had a great time like the i acting was good enough that um you know in a lot of the a lot of cases especially like with odysseus and um you know priam and and um oh god paris right you know Especially like with those, like I really, I forgot that I was watching like this kind of one of the most sparse reproductions we've seen so far. So thumbs yeah. up from me. But all right, c- uh, curse upon John Wiles. John Wiles. Uh, yeah. Like <laughs> you are dead to me, even though I'm relatively certain he's dead. Is he dead? Yeah. Okay. You are dead again to me. And <laughs> Woe unto Wiles. Yeah. <laughs> Fall of the house of Wiles. Yeah. <laughs> So, Bay, what about you? What are you giving this? This has to be a thumbs up. I mean, I can't give it a thumbs down. It's just, it, I enjoyed it too much. Um, I I liked these heroic figures from the past having like ridiculous feet of clay. I really liked the acting, in some cases overacting for, for some of the roles, Um Pretty much all of the Trojans, uh, the the main characters that we had in Troy, were fantastic. I w- like I was saying earlier, I was more familiar with Odysseus's story, and I liked him being like some creepy old pirate. <laughs> if, if I were to be a stickler, I would have liked things to maybe stick a little bit closer to the like actual story that we all know and love about the Iliad but then I guess it wouldn't be Doctor Who I can't blame anything on on Vicky um I this does not bode very well for Wiles I'm not kind of looking forward to this season because of what they did the loss of Vicky is gonna bother me for a long time Mm. all right Park how about you uh, no, thumbs up. I mean, I the turn is real quick. You know, that actually would have been a nice thing to get if this were a four part or a, a six part instead of a four part mm. to, to get it to turn from sort of more comedic to more tragic a little more slowly to see the seeds of that come and then develop would have been better. Cotton, is that his name? The yeah. writer? The writer. I, yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, I really liked his take on on uh, on the characters, the source material, the way this was responding to the tradition of Troilus and Cressida. There were things that troubled me as a Doctor Who fan about uh, you know a problem with certain yeah. fans and companions uh, and and writing their exits. But I I dug the episode, and people should go watch the the loose cannon reproduction. Oh, yeah. They did a really good Absolutely, job. It was really yeah. fun. Um, there's some goofy stuff. The goofy stuff mostly is just from the writing of the episode and the way it was filmed originally. There's some really smartly done reproduction. Now that was really, I thought it was a really good time. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, du- I didn't talk about this, but I dug the TARDIS sort of standing in for the Palladium. There's a whole lot of little um, mm. little Easter eggs in there. It was a good yeah. time. I, I forgot to mention. So I really uh, loved Marco Polo, and I wish that that had been complete. This is another one of those historical dramas, which, you know, I tend to appreciate a little bit more, mm-hmm. that I really just wish we had a hold of. Yeah, it's sad that so many of these historicals are the ones that are missing or have missing episodes. Like, in a few episodes, in a few stories time, we'll come to another one of these historicals that I think that is completely missing, like, not even a clip from. And is really sad because I think you'll be happy with that. It's, well, I can't really say you'll be happy with that episode, but it's a very good one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyway, with me and this story, yeah, I'm, I have to give it a thumbs up. This is a just really solid story with just a terrible ending that's really just because John Wiles was having a hissy fit. Yeah. But overall, the story's great. There's a lot of humor to be had here. I love the way that it plays with these myths just about everything in this story until those last couple minutes is pretty great. And yeah, thumbs up from me. I wanted to say one more thing before um, before we, we move on. Um, yeah. That, uh, so while we were talking, um, I read a reference uh, that the novelization, the chapter yeah. titles of the novelization actually contain all the puns. And I think I figured out what all the episodes were supposed to be. Ah. So what's our last yes. pun? So actually, uh, so episode one uh, was supposed to be Zeus ex machina. Yep. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I believe uh, episode two was supposed to be temple fugit. Classic. <laughs> and then, of course, small prophet, quick return. And then doctor and the horse was the final one. So okay. those were our, our four. It doesn't bother you, Park, that, that Tempus Fugit is supposed to be Latin, does it? <laughs> no, no, this is like me at all. It's, it's, it's all mushed together. And, and again, it, you watch them, you know, they're, they're making catapults. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're, uh, they're, they're wearing like what look like these sort of, uh, I mean, like kind of fancy way later period breastplates. Yeah, whatever. Sure. <laughs> Throw in some Latin in there, even though we haven't built that country yet. That's fine. So, yeah, the um, viewing numbers of this story, pretty consistent throughout, ranging between 8.1 million viewers and 8.7 million viewers. What was the the trend like? Did it um, go upwards over the course of the serial, or did we have a lull? It started at 8.3, and it ended at 8.3. So the high and the low, where episode two was the low, episode three was the high. Ah. You know that's solid. That's good for you. You you hope to not have attrition. Yeah. To have word of mouth spread, and people come into it is nice. But you really hope does not have attrition. Some of the reactions back then at the time when they received the script, both Tosh and Wiles were impressed with it, and they immediately commissioned Cotton to write another comedic historical for later in the season. Ooh, All is right. that is that the one that we're missing lots of? No, this is a different. That this one, the next one that he writes is actually complete. Oh, cool. Oh, okay, cool. So, can, it, can you can you tell us what the what the time period they're going to is? Or is that uh, too much of a I don't want to know. 
I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll look it up later. I'll look it up later. But I'll say that among the ideas that were ultimately rejected was one called the Herdsman of Aquarius, which involved the Loch Ness Monster. But yeah, we'll see what they actually okay. ended up going with later on. The herds of Aquarius. So I'm imagining <laughs> someone's got a whole herd of yeah, Nessies. But anyway, uh, Peter Purvis considers this to be his favorite story that he was involved in. I mean, I could see that, especially if it's the one that made uh, Andy like Steven. He got to wear the, all that dope armor. I just, I thought he developed like really well as a character here. He's clever. He's funny. He's not possessive of Vicky. Like I was kind of like worried he was going to be, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm cool with him. Now this Katarina. me in the dungeon. Yeah. With <laughs> your, your flirting. But but I do think that he he developed a lot more than in the episodes that we've seen with him. Yeah, I bet this was really fun to film. I mean, yeah. except for like some of the behind the scenes drama, but just yeah. in terms of like like the the actors who who did get to work with each other, and you know I I bet had a good time. That this kind of sex, except like Hartnell was being a jerk. Yeah, fighting. If yeah, yeah, it's tough when you Hartnell. have a director and a star who are fighting. Yeah. Didn't he call he called him a fool or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. It was the director was a fool. Hartnell and Wiles were at each other's throats. But everybody else seemed to be having a good time. So some of our modern reviews. Elizabeth Sandifer calls this a sharp story that's funnier to modern tastes than the Romans was. And, you know, she also likes to point to this as sort of a developing theme in this season where the doctor isn't able to save the day. In fact, he's barely able to save himself and he loses one of his companions along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she says that it's kind of the weakest that we've seen the doctor to this point and it begins to shatter our image of him as a hero. But you know so much for not influencing the past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the doctor kind of creates the past here. Well, he's originally going to influence the past, really, with a catapult, but then decides <laughs> to go along with the story that he knows. Yeah. And Sandifer also calls this by far the best historical that we've seen to this point. Agreed. I mean, I liked, I loved Marco Polo, but like, I would say this, I mean, like, especially if it was complete. In the About Time series of books, the writers of that say that this story has a reputation as a farce that was marred by Hartnell's prejudices, but that's usually the opinion of people who haven't actually bothered to listen to it. They say that it sounds pretty good with just the audio, and it was almost certainly even better if you have the images. The polls that we usually refer to Of course, since this is a completely missing story, their numbers aren't as low as we aren't as high as we'd like to see. It's number in 2008, it's number 126 out of 200. Hmm. And in 2013, it's 145 out of 241. I wish there was an adjusted score. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I would like to hear that compared to other other lost episodes. Hmm. I, it's I, kind I bet, of middling. I bet among among the yeah, is it, yeah, I would I would think because even around the middle range for one that you don't actually have the visuals for is pretty good. Around the middle range for one that's missing, 
and that's one that's really early in the show, that's a historical, all those things tend to bring the scores down. So, of the positives that people point to, you know, reviewers do, like we've done all along, praise the constant undermining of the myths and it's playing with expectations. Uh, They praise it for the fact that it really, unlike a lot of these stories, there's not really a whole lot of filler in here. It's, It's good pacing. And they praise it for being able to appeal to all ages. The negatives that people point to it's pretty much universally agreed that Vicky's farewell or lack thereof is complete garbage and that it's wrong that the doctor seems inexplicably cool about her just leaving, yeah. considering, you know, everything with Susan and how he reacted to Ian and Barbara's leaving. It doesn't really fit. He's her surrogate father now that yeah. her real father is dead. And another thing people point to is the odd mixture of the comic that suddenly turns tragic can be a bit off-putting, though some people admit that it may just seem like the bloodshed comes out of nowhere due to the lack of images. So maybe it would make, you know, we'd get a better sense of what's coming if we had the images to go along with the sound, but we don't. Hector's ding comes pretty early. Yeah. Actually, if you think about it. There's a lot of talk about potential bloodshed, but everything mm. is so passed off and joked about. Yeah. Until you get to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's really happening. Yeah. This whole city, everyone's going to go. Yeah. Well, unless you're going to get taken as a as a prisoner. So um, just some of our impact of this story. Uh, This continues on with the changing of the concept of what a historical is. Past historicals that we've had really stuck with the original historical sources for the most part. In this one, it's giving us a story that deviates from those sources, and it indicates that those sources are the deviations and that we're, we're seeing are the true events. So that's a very different approach than it really we've rides seen in a the line past. of what is a historical. Exactly, that's fun, that's fun it's like, though. I, it's not because it's like the Iliad is not yeah history. It's it's called Mythmakers. It's a drama. Yeah, yeah. And then of course we have the great paradox of the Doctor using an idea from a story based on these events. To cause the event that would be the <laughs> basis of the story from which he got the idea from. That is something that never would have been allowed before. <laughs> and then after that, I guess we should do a wrap up on Vicky and on Maureen O'Brien. So first, just the character of Vicky. Uh, Vicky will go on to appear in some audios and in some prose adventures that are set during her time in the TARDIS. There's also one that I found that takes place after this adventure. It's a short story where an older Vicky is with Troilus and their people, and they're I guess they've already gone, helped Aeneas, found Rome, and now they're on the way to settle Britain. The Eighth Doctor shows up with his companions, 
who includes amongst them an eight-year-old William Shakespeare. Vicky initially thinks that he's a robot fake and attacks him and tries to pull out his wires, but she's later convinced of the truth, although she thinks that he's a younger version of the doctor who she knew. So that's the story that I found of what becomes of Vicky. She's wandering around and eventually settles Britain. Is this official or like somebody's fan fiction? Because that's pretty wild. The line between official and fan fiction (laughs) in Doctor Who (laughs) is basically non-existent. (laughs) It's all official. It's all fan fiction. (laughs) Sean, something you said about this... We said that this was one of like the weakest we've seen the Doctor. Yeah, that really struck me. That this was almost reminded me of the Doctor from like back in um like the cavemen, the mm. the the tribe of maker. gum. Yeah, ten thousand yeah, like, BC. Sure, I'll make you some fire, and I don't really know what to do, and I'll let the uh the young dude here kind of partially take charge and decide mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And I I like I feel like a a, a later Doctor would have. Would have wanted to be in the horse as a way to get the TARDIS. I not necessarily. I he's he's still the hero in this one, I think. Whereas, like in that serial you're referring to, Ian really is driving a lot yeah. of mm-hmm. the action. I I don't necessarily agree that he would want to get in the TARDIS. I mean, like the Doctor certainly has become more swashbuckling, at least, yeah. or at least certainly does a lot more throughout the series. But I will say that, like. His inability to do anything is, um, or, or, well, I mean, what I'm saying is, is showing him being a relatively poor liar, being relatively unable to uh, come up with a decent plan of his own, um, being unable to prevent any, avert any of the tragedy coming whatsoever, and, and also being unable to prevent Vicky leaving, um, you know, I do, I agree. I think this is the weakest we've seen him so far. And it reminds me of some of the like more interesting, like more modern who explorations of like that weakness. And, you know, it makes for a good change up in the story. It makes it for a more compelling story. Mm. And uh, yeah. it's the difference between that, like in a modern one, I would expect him to, to, to appear more stymied, like to voice displeasure at being kind of buffeted by these different forces by Odysseus by kind of like the fate of Troy. And he just sort of is going along with what he has to do in the moment. I and mean, it's, it was, it was definitely felt to me like a, he's not scheming and then bringing his schemes to fruition. He's sort of being pushed to do things and he's not like figuring out how to make stuff happen. And then it happening. He's just, well, he just needs to get a young, he just needs to get his younger body. That's all. <laughs> I, I bet that's a big part of it for real though. Oh, I mean, I I, th- I thought you were talking about like he's more passive than active. Both. I mean, I think he's like like f- physically he's less active, but also I think in the story he doesn't really he's not really making things happen. The only thing he legit makes happen the is horse. the Trojan horse, mm-hmm. which we kind of are left to assume, depending on how paradoxy we want to get into it, would have happened without him being there. I don't know. I don't know. I, I still feel like he would have he would have schemed to get inside Troy because he would have wanted to get the TARDIS back and he would have known where it was. Mm. Um, he he knew in the in the in the in the episode he knew. Maybe not through the horse, but there would have been something. Yeah. I I I I just I I I got the that note that he was he was kind of weak in here. Yeah. That that makes sense to me. So um, with Maureen O'Brien herself, after you know her exit from the show. 
she had trouble getting TV work as she was finding herself getting typecast and didn't really want to do the same sort of roles. So she ended up working for a while as a substitute teacher. Though it turns out she could have gotten pretty much any role she wanted in the theater since they would have, you know, wanted the big draw of somebody who was on Doctor Who. But as she says, she didn't realize that at the time and her agent wasn't very good. Aww. (laughs) But... That's too bad. By the time the 70s come around, her career is picked up again. She has gotten some of those roles in the theater. She started doing more TV work. In 1979, she was in the BBC's The Legend of King Arthur as Morgan Le Fay. Cool. She's That's cool. Did a bunch of TV work over the next few decades. I actually was just have been watching the show Jonathan Creek lately, a show by the way which is produ- which was produced by Verity Lambert. But Maureen O'Brien is there 30 years older in the second episode of the series. Hmm. (laughs) Oh, I got to go back and rewatch that. I didn't realize that was her. That's really cool. Yeah. That's a good episode. Yeah, yeah. But And then between 1989 and 2004, she wrote seven successful detective novels. (laughs) You go. Cool. (laughs) And I haven't... I actually bought one of those off of Amazon, and it's on its way here. Oh. So in a few days, I'll have her first novel. Oh, we have to talk about <laughs> You'll it. You'll have to give a review. <laughs> yeah. That could be like some bonus content, you know, like our book club talk. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like she's done much or any film or TV work since about 2003. So she might have retired by this point. But she's still around. She occasionally shows up for some of the Big Finish audio plays. She's a very, very rare guest at compa- at convention. She doesn't really go to them all that much. But she has been known to go to a couple in Britain over the years. But yeah, she other than the Big Finish stuff, she doesn't really do much associated with the show anymore. And yeah... That's about it with um with Vicky. So do any of you want to say any final thoughts about Vicky? Eulogize? Nothing yeah. I haven't already said. I thought she was great. I thought her chemistry was awesome. I thought she was a great addition to the show. I was excited to see, you know, I thought what I thought was like a new direction um, with like kind of agency and um, kind of getting out from under that paternal shadow of the doctor and and uh, you know I was I thought it was I thought it was good while we had her and I'm pissed that she's gone. Yeah, I think she was instrumental in making the doctor who he is. It wasn't really until Susan left that he got to step forward and become his own character. Yeah, and um, very much so. Some of their relationship and how that all worked helped that to develop more. I think it's the distance that this character has to the Doctor that he and Susan didn't have that helped that come out. Also, I am going to have trouble like having quite as much fun with the Doctor and a companion not being cartoon characters like the two of them <laughs> were. Like, just tossing goods out of you know yeah. a Middle Eastern souk in the middle of the night mm-hmm. or something like that. We'll, we'll eventually get back to the Doctor having a companion who he could have that sort of fun with. It'll just be another, you know, season or so before we get that. 
But don't worry, that comes and goes. <laughs> but yeah, Andy's right. I've been fully baptized, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Nice. I the the podcast is is my trip back to um to older, especially Hartnell era. Yeah. Who, and I didn't know except for except for Susan. I didn't really know very much. Susan and Nina Barber. I didn't know very yeah. much about the first like earlier companions. And it surprised me with being very different from Susan and their relationship being different, even though he's also kind of a grandfatherly avuncular figure mm-hmm. to her. Uh, but their dynamic was different. And I'm sad we didn't get to see more. Yeah. I was just thinking of something. Are, are we in agreement, by the way, that it's like Barbara, Vicky, Ian, Stephen? I mean, that that is the... No. Um, <gasps> well, maybe not. I have to, I reserve judgment, but I think I might like Stephen more than Ian even. Like he's uh-huh. shaping up to be more interesting to me than Ian was, but we'll see. I think we need a companion board or a thermometer or something. And I'm not sure. I I have trouble placing Vicky and Barbara. I don't mm. know which one I like better. <laughs> I really don't. They both of them are in like my top ten companions list. I love them both. <laughs> I mean, we all know where I stand. I mean, I love Vicky. But come on. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you're a Marvel loyalist through and through forever. <laughs> but yeah, um, Vicky is really with Vicky more so than with the ones who've come before. You really see the the modern companion. This is really where, you know, she's the one who establishes, really establishes the role of the companion and is instrumental in that aspect of the show. And really, I think that Elizabeth Sandifer sums Vicky up best when she says that she is one of the overlooked gems of the Hartnell era. Mm -hmm. The doctor can go further out there as a personality and in some of his even like moral decisions. He can be weirder and wackier if you have a companion who can match him a little bit, who can call him out on stuff, who can do back and forth with him. And you don't really get that in the first set of companions. You don't. Yeah, somebody who's a quick thinker, who, you know, will joke around, will, loves the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. You said, you said cartoony, and that's, and that's something you don't really get. She's playful too. Yeah. 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 Who can play with him? You know, um, I, I don't know why I didn't think about this. Susan originally traveled with him. And, you know, like our first companions really besides her are Barbara and Ian. They come with him and then are deposited back in their own time. You know, give or take a few years. Yeah. Vicky is the first true companion, if you think about it. All of the other characters basically were traveling with him since the beginning. I mean... Ian and Barbara were kidnapped victims. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like someone who decided to go with him. Yeah. Someone who decided to go with him came came in from one time period, dropped off in another. Yeah. Right. She's the first like, yeah, full life cycle companion. And I guess we should end by saying that, you know, despite Vicky's leaving during the story, which is a major event... The most significant impact of this story has to be with its effect on William Hartnell. Mm-hmm. Like As I said before, all the stories of William Hartnell getting along with people come from before this story. 
everyone who works with him after this generally have nothing but bad things to say about him. This is really the story that broke William Hartnell. Uh, Does not get along with Katerina. No. (laughs) William Hartnell no longer plays well with others. That's got to be rough. I guess it's time to end this story next time. We go into the first four episodes of the 12-parter, The Daleks Master Plan. So I'd like to thank Park for joining us. Thank you. And um, yeah, I guess it is time for you guys to say goodbye. So, Bay, Andy, any last words? I, uh, thanks. Thank you uh, for your service. If, if, uh, if, if you are listening to this, Maureen, you did, did a great job. And uh, you got a raw deal. But I think we all agree you did a you did a great job. Well, I'd just say uh, pour one out for Vicky. You know, the next episode is entitled uh, "The Nightmare Begins," and it sounds like it certainly did for Hartnell. Sean, I, Sean, I wanted to ask: do you, do you mind if I if I plug something? Oh, sure, go ahead. If, if anyone has enjoyed uh, Darren Husted's uh, Minute podcasts, I've done a couple of those before. Um, I particularly like um, A Talking Cast and The Cast Next Door about the classic movies A Talking Cat and uh, The Boy Next Door. Uh, There's another one coming up called The Knives Out Minute. Uh, that goes a minute-by-minute podcast going through the entirety of the movie Knives Out, which was great. I love that movie, and I'm looking forward to being involved in the podcast. Cool, cool. I didn't realize that he had another one coming. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, please contact us on Twitter at Doctor Who's That. You can email us. We have a Facebook group. Please subscribe, rate, and share. And I guess I just want to end this episode by saying, F*** John Wiles. <laughs> <laughs>